Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Ronnie, you sleeping? You getting coffee back there? Now we're good. Okay. Luke chapter 12 this morning. Um, the Lord has us focused on anxiety this morning, right? Our favorite subject. Uh, many of you probably noticed, actually, uh, last Sunday that I had this, this rash on my face and it was on my neck. It was also on my, my chest and back. It was all over the place. I know that's too much information already. I'll try to stop there. When I went to the doctor last week, she said, this is probably ultimately a result of, of stress. Have you been anxious about anything lately? And, and I, I confess, I, I've been incredibly anxious about us moving locations since a month ago, and it came to, to just build up as we were moving into here last week. Uh, so, sometimes I, I just have to laugh, in fact, at, at God's providential humor in these things and the way that he works. And that here, here I come to preach to you from, from his word about don't be anxious, right? And, and here's the Lord. He's caused my body to absolutely betray me, right? Uh, to just to, to display my failure in a way that everyone around me can see, right? Uh, to, to trust, right? And, and here's the deal. It's, it's a failure in my part to trust the Lord to provide through all this transition. It absolutely has been. And, and I'll, I'll admit further than that, I am in general just an anxious person. It's, it's kind, of, kind of the way I am. I, I relate way too well to the quote that you see there in the, the reflection area today from a character in a book. Uh, and what she says, she says, so much of anxiety was anxiety about having anxiety. Yeah, that, that I understand. Uh, you see, our anxiety is caused by our fears of the future, our, our, our fears of failure or inadequacy, our, fa- our financial concerns, right, about stress at, at work and deadlines and promotions, or, you know, are we going to have enough money to actually live on or for our needs? We, we, we have anxiety about exams at school and we, that we feel unprepared for, or even that we thought we would be prepared for at this point. We have anxiety about loneliness and, and the fear of death. It's, it's everything, right, that's outside of our control. We just kind of have anxiety about. And so I'll, I'll ask you right here from the start, how many, if you'll admit it, just raise your hand if you consider yourself an, an anxious person. Okay, that's a lot of you. <laughs> now more hands are coming up. I can check your nails and stuff to see, right? Some of you have... We have these telltale signs. Our, our, our culture, in fact, is overwhelmingly anxious and, and, and just as common as the advice that we have for ways that you might relieve anxiety. There's herbal teas, right? Sip this and relax. Uh, massages, breathing techniques, getting proper sleep, avoiding the news or social media, regular exercise, less caffeine, even medications that can be helpful. And, and these things are very helpful. They really are, especially because God has designed us as both body and soul. We are, we are not one that's disconnected from the other. They, they actually relate to each other. But, but the central theme that we see here, we're not going to get into those things today, because the central theme today that arises from the passage, well, is this. It's, it's truly understanding and embracing the fatherhood of God, that the fatherhood of God is what will bring peace to our anxious hearts. And Jesus today is, is talking about, I want to specify this, he's talking about what we might call common anxieties. And I, and I mention this simply because 
I want you to know there are some rare forms of anxiety which are, are physical. They're at the, the neurological level that we're dealing with. And sometimes, uh, sometimes they can be irrational. Sometimes, uh, almost every time, they're certainly at the level that it interferes with your day-to-day life, your ability to simply function. And I want you to know if, if that's what you're dealing with, it, it's okay to seek out help for that. It's okay to, to, to look in other, uh, to look at, at the medical issues that might be part of this uh, alongside the heart issues that Jesus is going to be diagnosing and treating us with this morning in this passage. Uh, and if that's true, I want you to know that the Lord has actually given us as a congregation uh, an incredible uh, resource in this covenant community. Uh, Christine Durrett is our, our local, our resident neuropsychologist. That's not an official thing except for I just made it one. Uh, so you're now our resident neuropsychologist. We might be the only church on the planet that has one. And, and she'd be happy to be a resource to point, point you in the right direction and help you out with, with that. So then, um, getting back to our text, I want you to remember that last week, how many of you could probably tell me anything about the sermon last week? More of you are anxious thinking to tell me about the sermon last week. Okay. Um, so remember last week, Jesus saw, uh, we saw Jesus tell a parable where he tells this greedy farmer not to store up treasure for himself, but to be rich towards God. And our, our passage this morning is picking up right after that, right? Because Jesus is now turning to his disciples, right? The, uh, and he's going to instruct them from the crowd to the disciples. And he instructs them and he instructs us through this passage. So let's uh, read the first portion of our passage, Luke 20, or 12, beginning in verse 22. <clears throat> and he said to the disciples, And therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do, not, uh, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, anxiety is in the fabric of our modern lives, but it's nothing new. And it's nothing new. And so we ask that you enlighten our minds to understand your word and our hearts to truly believe it this morning so that we can, we can learn to battle against this all-too-common foe of anxiety. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you see what drove the rich farmer in the, the parable last week to, to hoard his wealth was really at the heart this anxiety about his future. I need to make sure I'm safe in the future. I'm provided for. And so Jesus now turns to his disciples and and he gives what's called an imperative. Do you you know what an imperative is? 
Um, you're shouting it out already, aren't you, over there, right? It, it, it's not advice. It's not here's something you might do. It's not like, hey, you might consider herbal tea. Uh, it's an actual command. It's, it's on par with other commands we see in Scripture. Do not make an idol for yourself, right? Or do not steal. And, and the command here is do not be anxious about your life. And the fact that it's a command tells us it's something that we can actually obey or something that we can disobey. You see, Jesus is not here. Not uh, Jesus here is not simply um, is not saying something like someone might say. You know, I'm I, I'm just fair skinned, right? I, I don't tan. I can't change that. It's just the way I am. That that's not what we're seeing here. It's, if you want to use that analogy, more more like uh, someone saying, "Do not get sunburned," right? Sure, you have a tendency toward it. It might be the way you are, but, but, but there are things you can do to actually fight against this. And, and so what comes next is Jesus teaching us how to push away anxiety when it seeks to take up residence in our hearts. How we can actually fight against the sin of anxiety. And the word here in, in the Greek for anxiety, uh, you don't care what the word is, but in the New Testament it means this, that to have one's thoughts occupied with a concern. Your mind occupied, right? It's filled up. That's where it is. And you've, you've heard these things go through your, he- your head. But what if I can't pay my bills? What, what if she doesn't recover and, and she dies? What, what if I fail my test? What if, what if our next PCS takes us to Bahrain? The, the word for life in verse 22 here is also the same word for soul, right? You have all these words for love in Greek, and, and here you have soul and life sharing one. Uh, he, he's saying, don't worry about your soul or your body, meaning your whole person. Your, your life is more important than what sustains it, in other words, right? Uh, more, more, more than what, what the greedy farmer was living for in the parable that we looked at before. And, and, and Jesus will, will tell us what life is for later, but first he begins to contrast um, the, the Father's abundant provision on one side, right, with, with, with anxieties and efficiencies so that we can compare these two and kind of see how it works. And so Jesus points to three examples of God providing for his creation. The first of them is the raven. Any of you raven fans? Not the football team, the actual bird? No? It's a big, nasty-like crow bird. No one really likes ravens. Uh, they don't plant they don't harvest. They, they, don't, they don't hoard Chick-fil-A sauce. They don't store up canned meats. They, they don't do any of these things. And yet God feeds them. He actually provides for them. And, and I think if we're honest, sometimes we can hear an example like this and think, that's just a lame example. You'd never say that to Jesus, I know. But, but it, it's somewhere in the back of your head, you see that you say, you know, I, I don't see God feeding the ravens. They, they hunt. They get their own food. They go find what they need to do. They, they take care of themselves. But when we think that way, it's a, it's a failure to believe in the providence of God that's at work in a hundred thousand little ways that we miss. I mean, really think about this. What, what Jesus says here is, is really absolutely true. Ultimately, the, the ravens eat not because of some random chance, not because of this raven's incredible skill, but because God himself feeds them. He himself provides for them the food. Ravens are, are, are included in, in Job 38. That's a wonderful chapter. If you, this week, I'd encourage you to just go read that sometime. It's that chapter where, where, where Job is questioning God about things he's doing. And God comes back and starts to ask him all these questions about, uh, about the created world. You know, who sustains this and who does that? And who causes the lightning and, and, and all these things? And then in verse 41, God asks him, who provides for the raven its prey? 
And the answer to every one of those questions, including this one, is God does. God does. And, and, and we, again, we don't always recognize God's hand in providing, even for the birds, but that doesn't make it any less true. I, I was in Aggieville Thursday morning, rough Wednesday night. Just kidding. I was just getting there. Um, and I, I walked past these big, creepy crows. They're the closest things we really have to ravens around here. You've probably seen them. Uh, and they were pigging out on this pile of French fries, just living it up as crows. And, and usually I would just go by and think that's disgusting. But since this passage was so fresh in my mind at, my, at the moment, I was thinking, wow, someone was so bummed last night when for whatever reason they spilled their fries all over the ground and, and left them. And, and, and that's how God was providentially providing breakfast for his crows today, right? Truly, the providence of God in all these little weird ways. And he gives a a second example of God providing for his creation with the grass and the flowers. Flowers live for a very short period of time, and and due to such little availability of wood in in the ancient Near East, uh, grass was, was used in the ovens to actually fuel them mostly. And so why bother, really? Why bother God making flowers more beautiful than Solomon's royal robes? And why, why bother clothing the grass with these flowers? And yet, God does. He does. And we do well to believe if God will care for the flowers and the ravens and the grass, how much more will he provide food and clothing for, for you and I who are unique in creation and that we are made in the image of God, that, that you know, we, we who have souls, we who exist forever, we, we who he sent his son to save. And of course the answer is so much more, so much more. And then in verse 25, I love this verse. It's like sabermetrics of the heart, right? Because it's just getting down to efficiency questions here about our anxiety. Uh, practical people, this is for you. Uh, Jesus asked this, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, let's all be practical people for a moment, and that's what practical people would like everyone to do. Um, But truly, how effective is your anxiety? How has it been? Right? What does it actually accomplish? And, and remember, anxiety is not seeing a problem. That's not anxiety. So don't try to you know, pick yourself up with that qualifier. It, it's not even about seeking a solution. It's, it's not having a plan. Anxiety is the obsessive mental concern about something, and typically, usually, something outside of our control that we can't actually do something about. And not only then does anxiety not accomplish anything, it actually robs us, right? It, it robs us of time while we're thinking about it. It robs us of time in prayer when we're, when we're worrying about it instead of asking the Lord for solutions for it. it. It robs you of rest. I mean, how many nights have you stayed awake at night because something at work, something at school, something in an interpersonal relationship just rolling through your head that you're just panicking about and it's completely out of your control, you can't actually do something? The anxiety robs us of health. I, I told you about my, my rash, right? It also causes ulcers. It, it's really bad for our hearts. It weakens our immune systems. It pushes people to make really unhealthy eating decisions. Anxiety often uh, tempts us to sin, in fact, right? Because in that moment when something's out of your control, you figure out, well, what can I do to accomplish what I want? And that's when people are willing to do something immoral to get what they think they need or, or, or think they, uh, to, to be secure, rather. 
It robs those who we interact with. No one's anxious and really fun to be around, are they? We become these grumpy people. In fact, we're even grumpy around those people that had nothing to do with our anxiety. They just feel the brunt of it. It drives us to addictions as we seek to numb or to escape the anxiety. It drives us to overwork and neglect rest that is so desperately needed as, our, as, as humans. And do you know what the opposite of anxiety is? You have to name it. The opposite of anxiety. Peace. That's right, I heard someone say, peace. Anxiety robs you of peace. And and why then are are we, the children of God, often as anxious as those who don't have faith in Christ? We who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We we who don't have, uh, you you know... why are we as anxious as those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what I mean. Or, or those who don't have a Heavenly Father who has, has promised to care for them. If we trust God for our salvation, shall we not also trust God for our day-to-day needs as well? And Jesus clearly identifies the, the heart of common anxiety here, and he labels it as, as a lack of faith. Now, not the absence of faith, but, but some unbelief that God who provides for the ravens and the flowers will, will, will also provide for us. A failure to believe that. And if I'm honest, that, that's why it's, it's, it's hard to admit anxiety. Right? On some like, higher level, it's, it's easy to say, sure, I'm, I'm anxious and stuff. But, but it's, it's kind of embarrassing because that, that's why my, my rash last week really felt like a, a scarlet letter of, of shame in a sense. Because it's It's true. Because it, it really came from a point of, of a failure to, to trust God in some regard. I was doubting God would provide everything we needed to be able to put a service on in this new location. I, you know, I was doubting that God would provide people to figure out our, our new sound equipment. Someone to come and to make coffee. That the, the lights would be enough that we'd actually be able to read our bulletins. That, uh, you know, I was worried about everyone's experience when we come in here. What's it going to be like? And, and I'm carrying this weight because I was a big proponent of this option with the elders. And I feared, what, what if this is terrible? What, 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 if, what if y'all hate this place? You know, what, what if the answer to prayer that I thought this was turns out to be just a huge mistake? And you see, somewhere deep down, I, I was doubting that God would provide what we as a covenant community need. I, I was me of, of little faith. I was sinning in my heart, and all my anxiety got me was, was a rash, right? A rash and an awkward steroid shot in the butt from some poor nurse who had to give it to me. But praying actually was helpful. Asking Adam and, and Ryan to figure out the sound equipment, that was helpful. Trusting the, the Lord to provide us a, a pulpit through Craig, who was working on that, that, that was actually helpful. But anxiety? Utterly worthless, inefficient, pointless, purposeless, accomplished nothing helpful. Our, our common anxiety is, is no small matter. In fact, it's another reason that you and I need a Savior. We, we must then silence the, the great deceiver who plants seeds of doubt about whether God loves and, and cares for us when we find ourselves in situations where we want to be anxious. And so the remedy is, is resting in our Heavenly Father who both 
can and will provide what we need. It's, it's important here to understand, in fact, that, that this doesn't mean that God's going to give us everything we ask for. But, but we can wholeheartedly trust that he will give us exactly what we need in these situations. And, and, and that's where faith comes in, right? The gift of faith. Because God can take away your anxiety, even if he does not remove the source of that anxiety. That's significant. For instance, you, you, might, you might be diagnosed with some health issue that makes you incredibly anxious. Fear for your, your life, fear for your, your future. And we tend to think, right, the only way the anxiety goes away is if God, God heals me. If he removes the situation, that's how the anxiety goes away. And God might heal you. It might be the way he does it. But he also might gift you with so much more faith and comfort, so much more confident in your eternal home that your anxiety goes away so that you feel real, genuine peace when the health issue continues to remain on you. And so let's believe in God's sovereign power, but also believe in his fatherly love for us. Let's, let's as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all our anxieties on our heavenly father. Take him, give them to him. Let's put into practice Philippians 4, 6 through 7, which tells us to, to not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We want that peace. We find it when we can find rest in the Lord, trusting Him. Verses 29 through 31 here is te- Jesus teaching us to reorder our priorities uh, from food, from clothing, stuff that we, we worry about, right? From focusing our, our hearts and our minds rather than on His kingdom. Because there's this, this lingering question in every single situation we find ourselves, right? How can I be sure that God, that, that I will still have everything I need? How can I be sure if I'm not the one accomplishing it? And the, the greedy farmer hoarded wealth, as we've said already. But, but Jesus gives us a better answer in verse 30. You see it there? Verse 30, he says, your, 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 your heavenly Father knows your needs. If you're the type of person that writes in Bibles or underlines, this, this is a place to do it, right? You're, that you're, your father knows your needs right there. If you, you just, you got to know that because believing those words is, is the key that sets us free to obey the more widely statement or widely known statement in verse 31 here, which we're going to get to a moment. In a moment. You, you understand this? You, you and I, we live in a fathered world. You and I, we are fathered people. This doesn't mean we quit our jobs and just wait for God to drop food for us in front of us, right? But it's a warning about obsessing, about spending all of our thoughts on how to get stuff, even even the basic stuff. Anxiety causes our thoughts to be occupied with, with concern for where we're going to get food, where we're going to get clothes, or, or, or in our instance, right? We, we don't even worry about that stuff. It's more, where am I getting insurance and a car that works better than the car I have? Where am I getting money for college and, and bills and things of that, that nature? But, but then, so then seek here, this, this word is another important word. It's the, probably the key word of this section. And to seek here isn't meant like you're looking for something that's hidden, like your car keys around the house or something. It's more like when we say that, say, you know, she is seeking to be the greatest dancer in the country. 
It's that kind of pursuit of something. It's, it's to set your heart on something. It is to obsess on something because you so desire to obtain it. And, and there are so many worldly things that we obsess over today. We, we obsess over sports and career and reputation. We obsess over clothing and fashion. May, maybe it's an obsession over, over having a better looking body or more social media followers or you know, perfect children or the praise of others or the romantic affections of some man or woman. We obsess over hobbies and collections. And, and listen, we only have two options in life. Either we live for ourselves and the stuff of this world, or we live for the kingdom of God. It goes one way or the other. And that's the point of verse 35, him to hear. Here we finally get to the answer of, uh, of what Jesus means when he tells us earlier, right? That your life is about more than food and more than clothing. Yeah, Jesus says instead, seek God's kingdom. Right? Obsess over God's kingdom. Pursue that. Your life and your body are for God, for his glory, for his kingdom. And so, yes, we want to work so that you can eat. Yes, plan, provide for your family. But don't, don't make the main focus of your life about these things. Again, do work and plan and play. But glorify God through it by doing it right, always in obedience, by doing it well and not being lazy. But, but when you obsess, obsess over Jesus Obsess over your, your true home in the eternal kingdom. Uh, Thomas Manton, the, the Puritan, he had this to say. He said, a man's greatest care should be for that place where he lives the longest. Therefore, eternity should be his scope. Some examples of this would, would be making a priority to spend time with the, the Lord, right? Through word and prayer. Or make it a priority for you and your family to gather with the people of, the, uh, of God on the Lord's Day to, to worship Him each week. You, you can seek the kingdom in how you work and behave and relate to others at work. You, you can seek the kingdom in the way that you date and, and how you learn music and art and sports and, and how we give of what we have for those in need. To, to seek the kingdom of God is is to seek God's rule and God's reign in every area of our life and, and to spread God's rule and God's reign as we share the good news of Jesus with others. And so then the very best example for us of a man trusting God's fatherly care and, and seeking the kingdom of God, who do you think it is? You awake? Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus sought the kingdom of God and his father provided food and clothing and everything else he needed. No one has a question, right, or a doubt whether Jesus was loved by his father. But <clears throat> think about his life, actually. Jesus' life wasn't luxury. It wasn't comfort. It wasn't ease. It was filled with pain. It was filled with rejection, with suffering. And his father sustained him every step of the way through uh, all the way to the end of his life's mission. He gave him strength to lay down his life as a sacrifice for, for you and I upon the cross. And, and Jesus' life and death, his days and nights, his words and silence, his prayers and cares for others were all about the kingdom of God always. And the Father resurrected Jesus like he will resurrect his children who are united to him through faith in Christ. Yes, even you who are busy being worried about the future. And so then we... We've actually got three verses we haven't read yet. I'm just going to go ahead and read them, starting in verse 32, if you want to follow along. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief, a thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Anybody know what the official motto of our nation is? Say it louder. In God we trust, you actually know it. Nice job. Since 1956, in God we trust has been written, is required that it be actually written on every piece of currency that's made. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? That every time that we we look at our money, the thing we tend to trust in, there's this reminder for us that that we don't put our trust on money. We, We trust in our Heavenly Father, in God. And, And so Jesus tells us, It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. That's everything. That's why we can let go of our possessions because we don't ultimately need them. You ever been invited to someone's house for a meal or something and you ask them, hey, what can I bring to this meal? And they say, absolutely nothing. Right? Because they're going to provide everything. They're going to provide the plates and the forks and the food and the table and the chairs and everything. And so you just, you just show up, right? That, that's the way it is. God provides it all. It's, it's like that. So you don't need to bring anything with you. That's, that's why Jesus invites us to sell what we have and, and give to whoever needs it. Now, one, he doesn't say sell everything you have. It's not a call to poverty, but rather a call to trust God by making more costly sacrifices for the kingdom. And in financial terms, what he's saying here, um, I think, you can probably correct me later if I'm wrong, but he's saying... Uh, you will divest, or I want you to divest of worldly things and, and invest in heavenly kingdom things. In, in our culture, what, what he's asking would be less about selling our used stuff and, and more about you and I going without something and, and then giving that money to someone else, right? It might be something like a meal out or maybe our, our morning Starbucks run or cable or Netflix or, or something that you are willing to go without so you can take that money and invest it somewhere else in, in the sake of the kingdom or give it to someone who is in need of it. Philip Riken here suggests giving away at least 10% of our income for Christian work. And then he goes on to say, or, or raise that number if you want to be a little more radical. Uh, still, Riken says this. He says, we should strategize about making do with less so that we have more to give to the work of God's kingdom. And that raises the question, who, who are the needy? What, what's the work of the kingdom among us? A, a few suggestions I can give you is this. We, we have a, a mercy fund set up within the church. It's primary use for the uh, needs within the congregation for, for others that you're welcome to give to at any point. You can just designate towards that. Uh, there's the Shepherd's Crossing in town. It's a wonderful organization that helps people in need, people with bills that come to them. And one of the things I love about it is they don't just hand out money. They say, come in, let's, let's look at your finances. Let's teach you how to do this well, and we want to help you also. Um, there's the Bread Basket Food Pantry, the, the Women's Shelter. All would love to have anything you, you can give to, to the need there. Uh, for kingdom work, of course, you're offering here. There's RUF and there's crew that you can give to. Our, our missionaries, Zach and Ellie, I, I know they're actually trying to finish up their support raising right now to, uh, at, at this moment. Or, or maybe God's brought someone across your path, right? Someone that you have this personal interaction with and you know their need and, and the Holy Spirit just moves you to give to them. Do. 
Will you seek to see others become children of God, citizens of, of the heavenly kingdom? Will, will you value people's souls more than stuff? Really, the question here is, will these words of Jesus change us at all? At all? Christ is, again, our, our model in this. But when Jesus stored up treasures in heaven, do you know what it was? It, it was you. It was you. Those he saved by his life and his death and his resurrection. It's in the Old Testament. But anyway, Deuteronomy 7, 6 tells us that the Lord your God has chosen you, right, his people, to be a people of his treasured possession. But anxiety and selfishness, too, too often... It gets in the way of our generosity. It just does, if we're honest. You remember, when we invest in, in earthly things, though, it, it depreciates. It loses its value. It rots. It falls apart. It can be foreclosed on. But, but whatever we invest in the kingdom of God, that, that's safe forever. It really is. Finally, Jesus says here in verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your heart? The answer is wherever your treasure is. And so the question becomes, where, where is your treasure? I want you to have that conversation with someone today. Ask that, that question, what, what would it look like for you to invest in God's kingdom as, as your treasure? And again, you think of this more widely too. I know some of you are thinking, I don't have a whole lot of money. That's okay. Um, it could be time also. What are you willing to give in, in that regard? All right, so then remember this. Only God-given faith can help, get, rather, only God-given faith can keep us afloat when fear rains down and anxiety floods the streets of our hearts. So I want you to believe and know that you are fathered. You are fathered. Know that you are a, a child of the King and so you can live generously because you, you can trust your Heavenly Father will provide for you with everything you need today and, and for all of eternity and Sorry, this just reminded me of a story. I'm going to add that, and, and then we'll close. Um, we, we had a friend who was raising her children. They're growing now, wonderful children. But she had this wonderful thing where when her kids were anywhere, and there wasn't, they, it, they could give their stuff away. They could give the last cookie to someone else. And, and their mother said, listen, if you don't get a cookie at this party or wherever you are, I'll go get you one. I will provide for you whatever you need. And, and so they, they had this freedom to just be able to give what they had because they trusted in their humanly parent in this case to actually provide for them. We have that a thousand times more. The Lord will provide what we need. He, we are a fathered people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you are our father. We thank you that we are a fathered people. And so we ask you, our loving, our strong, our caring and providing father, would you give us faith that's not only strong enough to take away our fear of death and hell, but strong enough to take away our fears of being without those things we need. Our worries, our projection of the future, of whatever it is that can seep into our hearts and make us so anxious. May what is eternally true of you, Lord, give us hope and security in every area of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.